welcome to Decoding the Gurus Mini Decoding with Matt, the psychologist, and Chris, the psychologist slash anthropologist. Two things, really, but we don't need to dwell on that. What we are here to dwell on today is a very specific technique that gurus, also some other people, academics, perhaps in general, are a little bit prone to, but I find a rather egregious example of it in content recently. So I wanted to highlight. So this is a mini decoding, but a specific guru-ish technique. Mm. Understood. Understood. I haven't heard this yet. Um, no, you have, you have not. Trash. And it's from a recent podcast with Sam Harris. Now, <laughs> it's not focusing on Sam Harris, okay? We've already had enough talking to, with, about Sam recently. This is not about Sam. It's something that his guest does. And his guest in this instance is a philosopher called, what's his name? I had it a second ago, called John Gray. And it's from a recent episode called Is Moral Progress a Fantasy? Again, this is not important, the kind of topic of that. Mm -hmm. We're not not hugely invested in this issue of (laughs) his moral progress possible. No, you would think it is, but nonetheless, John John Cray might have some arguments against that. But let's set aside the (laughs) philosopher's tendencies. I don't know how to put it, what they like to do, arguing things that seem like you should be able to argue them, but... At the end of that episode, there is a segment where they address the issue of new atheism and atheism in general, because apparently John Gray was quite a strong critic of the new atheists, right, which includes Sam. So Sam invites him at the end, you know, maybe what would you raise as your criticisms about atheism, new atheism? And it's his response where we get to see the technique that we're looking at today. So why don't I play the start of the response and then I'll stop it and we can see if you pick up on what I'm getting at, okay? Okay, all right, let's go. So here we go. I think we should should close on atheism and and Uh, in in particular your your criticism of new atheism. And uh, I guess I'll just put it to you. What is it that you think we got wrong about religion? Oh, well, a number of things. One is that... Religion isn't just or even primarily an intellectual error. Mm. I mean, if you approach the human animal in the spirit of scientific impartiality, you would observe that however religion is defined, um, it's not perhaps ubiquitous in every human being, but it's nearly universal in human culture. So if you started with that assumption, you might think it served some needs, human needs, or um, had some kind of functions in human life quite apart from whether or not it involved uh, intellectual mistakes and or, or errors. So the first thing is a kind of intellectualist or rationalist theory of why religion is wrong. And of course, I've been rather caustic about that in some of my writings, because what I observe as an historian of ideas is that people... Okay. Mm-hmm. So starting off, 
I think that's generally okay. Yeah, that sounded okay uh, to me. That sounded cogent. Made sense to me. He's he's saying, look, yeah. he's saying, look. My issue is is that religion is ubiquitous. It probably does fulfill some kind of functions, and it's maybe limiting to understand it purely in terms of it being intellectually fallacious or not. Yes, that's so, and no issue so far. <laughs> okay, that's that was a reasonable point to raise. That this is one of my objections of the New Year feasts. But it continues. Who believe they shed every blast vestige of religious belief. I'm not speaking of you or even of other new atheists, but those who became dialectical materialists or Marxist-Leninists mm. or even um, scientific racists, for example. Mm. Uh, many of them were atheists. Uh, they thought they'd sort of... But they, what they hadn't ex removed in themselves was a need for some kind of... Uh, worldview or belief which um, which sustained their sense of value and importance in the universe, which, is, of course, is one of the things that religions do. And, of course, we have to bear in mind here that whatever the meaning of the word religion, I don't think dictionaries, Pinker often uses dictionary, I don't think they're that useful here, but whatever it means, it includes more than monotheism mm -hmm. because uh, there have been countless religions in the world, Greek, ancient Greek religion, Chinese religion, Indian religion, most of the religions in the world, including what may be the primordial human religion, animism, have not, uh, which probably all human uh, and pre-human, early human and pre-human cultures sustained, was the idea that the world is full of spirits. And the idea that, um, for example, I mean, one of the unexamined no distinctions that is often invoked by scientific is between natural and supernatural explanation, but that only really arises if you have a monotheistic or some similar idea of creation, if you think as the ancient Greeks did or the... the uh, Let's take a pause here. So <laughs> take a you... little break. Take a little break. Yeah. Uh -huh. So what did, what did you pick up there? The next, he's kind of laid on a bit more, right? He has, he has. And um, it's easy to forget what the original question was. Hey, so Sam asked him, what's your problem with the new atheist uh, take on religion, right? He started off okay in that first section, but now he's talking about that religions, well, you know, there's lots of differences, not just monotheism, there's, it all goes back to animism, and only the monotheistic ones had a distinction between the natural and the supernatural. What, what else did he say? Well, he also pointed out that there have been secular regimes which have been quite brutal, and he implied that, you know, they were still searching, like they, they needed to fill the gap of religion, oh, so yeah. the Marxists and the Nazis and... Yeah, yeah, well, he, he pointed out that some of the new atheists anyway came to be known to hold unsavory opinions and... and that, Scientific racism. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so that's a ding against them in his mind. But, yeah, it's all a bit, it's all a bit tangential, isn't it? None, none of it is really well, addressing the question yet. It might be building their point, so let's continue. Congolese pygmies and uh, the, the Aztecs did and so on, that um, the universe was more or less everlasting, but there were various gods that appeared in it, and that the world was, if you thought that the natural world was full of gods, full of spirits, you wouldn't make this distinction between natural and supernatural. You would just look at things without making that. Uh, it, it's an artifact. Much of what passes for atheism is an artifact of monotheism in that although the beliefs are negated or reversed or turned upside down or rejected or refused, repudiated, the conceptual framework is still there. And you can get out of that conceptual framework if you try and inhabit the conceptual framework of 
ancient Greek religion or ancient Indian religion or ancient Chinese religion or Aztec religion. Uh, of course, in all of them, you'll find interesting feature, which is that the gods are normally plural, although in Indian religion, they're sometimes said to be aspects of a, a single impersonal god. Uh, so there are impersonal as well as personal gods, mm. but also then they're not necessarily uh, in any way uh, benignly disposed towards human beings. And this even includes uh, some of the early Middle Eastern um, religions <laughs> from which Christianity uh, eventually emerged in Gnosticism and um, mm-hmm. other uh, Middle Eastern traditions. Yeah. There is something like Zoroastrianism. a demi- <laughs> Zoroastrianism. Uh, Zoroastrianism then in some of its forms assumes the permanence of two principles in the world. Uh, light and dark, and doesn't, in some of its form, doesn't even assume that um, light will eventually prevail. It could prevail, but it might not prevail. <laughs> oh, Chris, I, I'm really beginning to feel, I feel for Sam Harris here, Guy, because I can hear him try, like, becoming maybe a little bit impatient. Yeah, I think Guy. he's got the point. He's, he's got the point. ready mm. for it to continue because, yes, yeah, so again, the, the kind of position here seems to be that there are religions which or, or cultures which do not make a distinction between supernatural and natural, and that the kind of contemporary atheism is a product of modernity. So it's it's kind of trapped into the monotheistic or like modern religious framework. But if you go back, mm. you wouldn't you wouldn't have modern atheists. If you went to cultures where there was no concept of secularity, you wouldn't have secular people because it wouldn't make sense right but he also says that yeah like atheism is like a reaction against mono, a monotheistic religion it, it's not so it's just really a different facet of mono anyway but he doesn't really support that point i don't think he just says it but uh, chris he's not he's gish he's not actually answering the question well, how he's, dare he's, you he's, what do you mean he's he's, he's giving <laughs> illustrative examples it's just these are all relevant as uh, so, you know zoroastrium he's now yeah, talking we, about ma- maybe we need all of this context about how there's many polytheistic religions but indian polytheism is maybe not quite the same because it it, it, it could be different aspects of the one god i mean this is all uh, we hope pertaining it's all necessary background for us to understand the answer right. he's going to he's going to give we assume at some so, point to the original yeah, so question let's let's see where it's going let's see where it's going so there's a whole wide range of phenomena that come under some... By the way, the best book ever written, to my mind, by a philosopher, at least, on religion is William James's The Varieties of Religious Experience, because he he looks at mental ex, kind of subjective experiences of a variety of people, including himself, but he, he's very aware of the, of the, uh, of the diversity of, of religions. And so uh, my first reason is, my first is that religion, whatever else it may be, is definitely not an intellectual mistake, or not primarily. It's something much more profound. And, and you can see that from uh, its near universality in human culture. And the fact that once monotheism, Christian or Jewish or other monotheism, was rejected, the underlying need for some framework of belief or of ideas or of a worldview of some kind of which bolsters the human sense of importance, both mm. as a, an animal, a species in the in the cosmos, uh, and as of the individuals who comprise it, went on and was expressed in, in the 20th century in many different, and the 19th century and even the 18th century, but certainly in the 20th century, in, in ideas of history which are very like some Christian ideas of history. So, we, well, I think we did have a little... We, we did have some kind of answer there. Summary. 
there, right? That, yeah, he, he, did, he did circle back to an answer there. Let's give him credit. He um, explained that, one, he thinks new atheists have got it wrong because religion is ubiquitous. So, you know, it must be doing something pretty important. Useful. Yeah. Uh-huh. And two, that he thinks that uh, people need a kind of underlying worldview, a moral framework and so on, and that if you don't have religion, then people like atheists will just substitute it with something else, probably something worse. Marxism or like the, yeah, the history and, of 20th century bad ideas. And, uh, and the second one you hear a lot, don't you? You hear it from yeah, religious conservatives who will say that, you know, the problem with leftists is that they've, is that they've, is that they've, they've abandoned the good old fashioned traditional religion. They've substituted it with all these terrible new secular religions. Yes, and he he did also manage to point in uh, a book recommendation, William James's Varieties of Religious Experience, a good book, but sort of an aside, an an (laughs) indulgent aside, given the length of the answer. But And the other point that he wanted to make is that there, what is that one? That, oh yes, that the... There's a more different types of religion than monotheism, right? So mm. atheism and the new atheists are mostly talking about monotheistic traditions. They're not talking about animists and uh, yeah. like polytheists and so on. That, that feels pretty weak though, right? Because any atheistic <laughs> argument that applies to Christianity is also going to apply to... No, I'm not just... Well, does it matter? Like, hold on. Hold your horses. He wasn't finished, so let's... Mm. We're probably cutting him off before he's going to, you know, bring up the better arguments. Mm. In which history is a meaningful moral drama. By the way, that's completely different from some of the uh, pre-Christian writings on history of the Greeks and the Romans, because although there's a diversity there, the idea that um, there was any overall moral meaning to history was absent. Mm. The, uh, history was, and even in Aristotle, I mean, he talks about uh, the regimes of uh, come and go in biological terms, like um, summer and winter, things grow up, they have a, a youth, then they decay. In other words, he took for granted something which is now, it's taken for granted by, I think, practically everybody until Christianity took hold. And even up to the 18th century, lots and lots of people believed it. The, Med- the Renaissance thinkers all believed it. They all assumed that history was in, in terms of its um, ethical and political aspects, was um, mm. cyclical. So that even the most, the best regimes that could exist among humans would fade and die. Uh, Machiavelli says that categorically. Mm. Uh, they all took that. When they rediscovered pagan thought, as they called it, they didn't become new atheists. They took the assumptions of the ancient world as being truer than those of the Christian world that had followed it. That's to say they assumed that um, the same errors, the same atrocities, the same evils, would recur. And that they didn't deny that there were better and higher, worse civilizations. Quite the contrary, they were possibly now would be condemned as white supremacists in in, in that way, although some of them admired non-Western civilizations as being as good or even superior, actually, some of them did. But they certainly assumed there were better and worse civilizations, but they always assumed that the best civilizations wouldn't last all that long and would fade away because of certain and be replaced by others that would be worse, at least for a while, possibly long while, centuries uh, or millennia, because of the contradictions within human beings. Within- okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, 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 we're traversing new territory now, aren't we? We're now talking what? about how medieval people saw the world and how they were influenced when they rediscovered pagan thinking but either way they saw things as cyclical and things really wouldn't get better and but how has this got anything to do 
with well well i think the argument here is that the new atheists are imagining that you can progress like beyond religion you know, kind of religious tradition and conventions to more like a more enlightened secular scientific notion yeah. and he's contrasting but, that but with medi- but medieval peasants didn't believe that so <laughs> yes so- correct <laughs> how does and, that- and re- <laughs> renaissance poets and various Machiavelli. other people yeah haven't agreed that i think what he actually wants to like emphasize there is that it's a christian notion this like notion of progress that society progresses and whatnot but then he had to deal with the fact that there are higher there were perceived hierarchies and better and lower societies but you know some of them didn't think exactly so anyway he he's ended up kind of dealing with the counter examples and whatnot but but so that's the argument, right? Is that maybe New Atheists, again, they're just really a variety of Christians or a reactionary force of Christian because they're taking this assumption about progress, which shouldn't be a given. Yeah, but you could be like just being an atheist doesn't like progress isn't bound into it, surely. I mean, have I, have um, I misunderstood atheism? Does it necessarily involve a, a notion of technological and social progress? Well, maybe he would say the new atheist suggested it, it does. But in, but again, Matt, you're interrupting him. He's not, this is, it's building up, it's layering up, it's like a cake. This is just the foundational <laughs> level. It's, it's going to have a nice topping shortly. So just have patience. In what used to be called human nature. And one of the things about all these thinkers is that they assumed there was such a thing as human nature. They, Machiavelli thought, thought that, and his uh, people who wrote about around that time uh, thought that, and they thought that these contradictions within human nature, propensity to um, make catastrophic decisions, to even make some of, make them willingly, mm. which had been explored not by the ancient Greek philosophers, I think, so much as by the ancient Greek dramatists, yeah. actually, were, um, <laughs> they were constitutive of human beings. They were coterminous with, with human beings. And for that reason, wouldn't go away. So Machiavelli was a great patriot in his way, and a great idealist, a great um, optimist almost in, uh, in, in wanting to have a republican form of government in, uh, in Italy of his time, at the least at the level of a nation, of a city-state. But he thought that even that would, you could have it for a period, a fairly long period, but it would fade away. It would be defeated by combinations of circumstances. And that would happen inexorably and inevitably and over time and would be recurrently repeated and that nothing would ultimately be learned uh, except that, except that, 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 that's how history is and was and will be. And that's essentially my view. So I think he was just reiterating the point <laughs> there that there there was, uh, you know, who did he highlight? I think I, I've blanked it out of my oh, mind. It was well, a, well, it was Machiavelli. Um, um, uh, Machiavelli, right. But wasn't there a Greek person involved? Well, he, um, he, meant, he mentioned Greek playwrights, I suppose, like Euripides. And, okay, yeah. but so apparently Machiavelli was somebody that held this cyclical notion that, you know, yeah. society would inevitably collapse. Yeah, so, I did read The Prince, but I, I don't remember that bit. But maybe he wrote it somewhere else. I've got a bad memory also. But but anyway, Machiavelli. I did get that point though. <laughs> let, me, let me get this straight. I mean, so so yes. So he's he was traversing all of this thought, right? Renaissance, medieval, ancient thought, mm-hmm. which was not necessarily Christian, but it was definitely, you know, religious and spiritual and didn't, you know, yeah. it, that all had. And 
in that world, the common thing that he identifies in all these worldviews, whether it's a medieval peasant or Machiavelli or a Greek playwright, is that they, the things can't change. I mean, they can't change permanently. There can't be any kind of progress, like real change. Things could be good for a while, then they become bad for a while, and things are cyclical. Yeah. And, and I think most people are aware of that. Like medieval peasants had this, like, because there was very little progress, I mean, for long periods of time, people couldn't really discern it. So it was a more natural kind of view of the world and the seasons and all that. So I get that. But so his argument is, is because he does, because he thinks that there, there can't really be any progress and a new atheism, according to him, in, involves an assumption that there has to be some kind of human progress, a permanent change in the way things are. I don't know why that is. I assume to, to change from being religious to not being religious, like permanently, yeah. maybe. Is that is that the change that he's talking about? But And for that reason, the new atheists have got it all wrong. I mean, that seems insane to me. Like, but basically saying because because medieval peasants didn't think this was true, then... <laughs> Not like, just medieval peasants, the Machiavelli yeah. and yeah. Greek playwrights and Indian philosophers and so yeah. on. But yes, that does seem <laughs> the argument. But, but I think you haven't quite got it, Matt. Maybe more examples will, <laughs> will help. <laughs> so it has quite a lot of uh, it has predecessors in, um, in modern European civilization. But it's not the view of practically any of because what most of the new atheists said was that they believed that ethics, ethics and politics were backward in that they could advance as rapidly and as consistently and as consecutively mm. and cumulatively as ethics, but they just haven't for various reasons. Mm. I don't believe that's even... I'm, I'm on Machiavelli's side there. By the way, Machiavelli in that respect is a deeper thinker uh, or a truer thinker than Hobbes because Hobbes uh, recognises oh. that all um, regimes tend to fall apart and you have states of nature then supervening so states of regimes are mortal, so he recognizes that. But he does sort of occasionally, at least now, if, we, if only my thought, my way of thinking, my principles, his theory of the social contract, his rationalist sort of ideas could be adopted by a prince, or then we could set up a, a state which would, would last a very, very long time. Uh, Machiavelli never thinks that, because there's much more conflict within mm. the human animal, even separate, even within the single human animal in Machiavelli, and it's from those conflicts that both what Enlightenment thinkers might call progress, let's call it betterment, and also what they would call regress, let's call it barbarism. They both come from the same source. And as I've put it, I always strive to be just to put difficult thoughts in the simplest terms possible. I've, I've said civilization is natural for the human animal, but so is barbarism. So uh, just, just to be clear, Hobbes... He did have a similar thought, but he wasn't as, you know, he thought that if people adopted his philosophy, the system could last longer. So he's a bit not as good as Machiavelli. This was important <laughs> to, to, to kind of veer off into. And as we could see from this, John Gray likes to put difficult, complex things into very short, concise descriptions. And he says... For humans, it's natural for them to create civilization, and it's also natural for them to be barbarous. We, you know, we are not purely good creatures. So, yeah, yes. And this, and this relates to new atheism. How? <laughs> this is my question. Ah, uh, okay, okay. I see. I see the problem. We haven't got it yet, Matt. Wait, it's not. It's not finished yet. So, look, he'll help. He'll help. Both are natural, and. Uh, 
uh, if you just look at history, I mean, barbarism can last an awful long time. There was the uh, long periods in the history of China, wars of the wars of the warring states in Russia, the time of troubles, and of course in Europe, uh, in uh, the wars of religion, immensely uh, destructive wars. Thirty percent of the population being killed off one way or the other in uh, Central Europe. We go on a long, long time. Then you have a period in which that experience is still so vivid in memory, and um, you have a period in which people explore ideas of toleration and uh, peaceful coexistence, and they get partially embodied. And I think, by the way, there might be a history of ideas difference between us because my view of that of uh, where toleration comes from is it comes from Job, uh, ultimately from the Book of Job. And from certain elements in Christianity, in other words, it comes from theism, not from the secular enlightenment. Because one of the the further away the secular enlightenment got away from Judaism and Christianity, the, the more illiberal it became. And you eventually get things like Auguste Comte, who certainly was an enlightenment thinker. Everybody thought he was, and he thought he was, but he was a complete anti-liberal. Uh, he hated liberalism, except as a except as a sort of um, a transition point between medievalism, which he liked which he admired, medieval Catholicism he admired as an organic society, as he called it, but was based on magic and religion, so that wasn't good. To a new society, the technocracy, which would also be organic. Did that help? (laughs) (laughs) You pieced it together. We're now on to come, I I think, aren't we? Uh, I feel like he's taking us by the hand and taking us for a walk around his mind palace. Like This reminds me a bit of Jordan Peterson. He's clearly a guy who's got a lot of interests, likes reading philosophy, likes reading history, likes reading the classics, and he's passionate about them. And it's they're all woven in there in this magical mystery tour that he's taking us on. But I, I keep going back to the question, what has this got to do with, what? with the point? Is he just rambling? Is he senile? Is he, a, is he an academic? Is he a professor? I have questions. He is an academic a philosopher. Um, I don't think he's senile. But, I, but I, I do think this is extremely indulgent because, yes, we are pausing that and stuff, but you have to realize that's breaking up what is an unbroken monologue, right? This is this has been going now for about five or six minutes. And he's now, what is he doing? He's detailing the wars of the, the, the world, years all war. the history of conflict, and now has gone down to talk about Comte and his philosophy and what his views about technocracies and, and whatnot are. And, and well, let's see, maybe we'll, we'll get back to him, Matt. We'll we, get we, back to it. It's- we have to have faith. <laughs> we have to assume that this is all necessary background to the definitive answer. Based on science. By the way, I think it's no accident, I know one of says this, but I think this is true, that among Comte's disciples was the French leader, uh, intellectual leader of Action Francaise, the uh, Charles Morat, the anti-Semitic pro-fascist thinker, he was a great admirer of Comte's. Hmm. Uh, and uh, he thought, this is what this is what we want. I mean, uh, for most of his life, Morat was an atheist. In fact, he probably died an atheist, I suspect, but I can't know that. But he favoured propping up, he liked the clerical fascist regimes of Europe for propping up or keeping alive a, a certain kind of uh, neo-feudal order, and he detested liberalism in, in all of its forms. So this sort of brings out the point that the associate, when people talk about liberal enlightenment values, they're talking about something that really exists in the enlightenment. There is a tradition of it in Locke, Mill in different forms, utilitarian, rights-based, and um, some Europe, continental European, I think, as Benjamin Constant and others, it really exists. But there are also lots and lots and lots of enlightenment thinkers who were either non-liberal or actively anti-liberal. 
um, some of the founders of modern criminology, for example, Lombroso, mm-hmm. Cesare Lombroso, he thought of himself as an Enlightenment thinker, and he said, based it on Comte, because Comte said, ultimately, human sciences are all based on physiology. It's easy to see how that could turn into racism, as it then did in the Nazis, who, on the one hand, revived Christian anti-Semitic demon. So, so we're now, well, at least we're getting closer to the modern period, right? We've got the, the Enlightenment, we're into Lombroso and his kind of physiology of criminology and this, right? And uh, you can see sometimes the little thing that he wants to throw in, that there was an admirer of Comte who yeah. was uh, like pro-fascist and probably also an atheist. He can't be sure, but he's pretty sure he was <laughs> an atheist that he liked fascism, right? And the, mm. there were Enlightenment thinkers who weren't liberals, so that's that, a problem, right? That's another, and, that's another <laughs> ding against the new atheists, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I got to hand it to Sam Harris. I mean, the man can monologue, but he can also take a monologue like a champion. <laughs> I'm imagining yeah. sitting there impassively like a rock, just absorbing it all. Yeah, and it's it's not done, man. We're not done. So Lombroso, he had some problems. It's probably an atheist. <laughs> what else? But on the other hand, said that it could be formulated in scientific terms, which of course was false. But it gave their movement a kind of ideology which was consistent with the modern idea that science is the paradigm of um, of, of knowledge. So. There's a whole variety of reasons why. And in my book, as you remember, my seven types of atheism, there are seven that I distinguish. Not only yeah. seven, I'm sure there could be more. And I, there are only two that I, I, I strongly condemn, five of them. And um, like the other, the last two, which is the kind of atheism one finds in writers such as... Um, and not sure, all, Schopenhauer and... Yeah. Schopenhauer, not Nietzsche, because Nietzsche, I, although I have learned a lot from Nietzsche, Nietzsche was a radical humanist. He thought that a small category of human beings could uh, impose... So, sorry, we need to we need to talk about Nietzsche a little bit because he's... You might mistake him for... For one, of, know, the, uh, one of the good atheists, but uh, he's not. He's one of the five... Well, the no, I think he's going to say that he is a good atheist like oh. because you might mistakenly classify him as a bad atheist, but he's a good atheist for reasons oh. that we're about to hear. Okay. With a certain meaning on history by act of will, by the act of will. I think it's a complete fantasy and illusion. And he also thought that was, well, um, he was the son of a pastor. He was much more steeped in Christianity than Schopenhauer, who I yeah. think stepped outside of it more radically. And, um, well, Schopenhauer, and it, as it was, basically a Buddhist with a bad attitude. Well, <laughs> <as far laughs> I, I know you're interested, but yes, he was. He, he did. He, the part of Buddhism he never really quite took on board was compassion. Yeah, but uh, as evidenced uh, by the, the, the moment he uh, didn't he hurl his landlady lady down a yeah. flight of stairs or something. He, uh, he yeah. knocked her down a flight of stairs, yeah. and um, for some reason or other, she irritated him. And uh, when she died, he wrote, "I can't read Anit Obus Obus Anit," which means the the, the 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 burden goes. The old woman has died, so he was mm-hmm. pleased that she was. Uh, out of the way. He was certainly yeah. not a practicing Buddhist of the kind that most yeah. Buddhists, but he, he, he did. So we, we, we had a sidetrack there, partly because of Sam's fault. That's Schopen, Schopenheimer? Schopenhauer. Schopenhauer, Schopenhauer, Schopenhauer yeah. yeah. Not the atomic bomb guy. <laughs> so he liked Buddhism, but he doesn't practice compassion. He pushed his Person down the stairs, Nietzsche. Actually, it turned out he didn't like some bit about Nietzsche. I was wrong. Uh, so 
Nietzsche, not totally bad, but kind of a bad <laughs> atheist. Uh, but Schopenhauer's family, he had some religious involvement more. So that, it's unclear. Does that really, is that so important? But, but okay, we, we must be finding the point that the time is running out <laughs> on the podcast. Take a step that others didn't take, which is when he rejected the Christianized philosophy of history that Hegel, his contemporary whom he hated, uh, and he, he actually put his lectures on at the same time as Hegel's, but nobody came to Schopenhauer's lectures, so it didn't really work. He hated, he thought that Hegel was sort of a court philosopher of Prussian authoritarianism, which I think to some extent he was, yeah. as well as a mystagogue. And, also also and unreadable as well. So that's A very unreadable way. Schopenhauer was very readable. Yeah. Very readable. Wonderful stylist, even in English. Um, he thought that um, history was what the Buddhists, but even more the Hindus, the Vedantic thinkers, mm -hmm. thought it was, namely a, a troubled dream, a succession of troubled dreams that it had no meaning. And that was a view, you can find it among the ancient, in the ancient world, uh, the pre-Christian world, in Gnosticism and uh, in other traditions as well. Mm. But uh, it was definitely not the view that was, the view that was accepted in, um, in uh, 19th century Europe. So Nietzsche was much closer, oddly enough, to the European consensus of his, of his day in su suggesting that some human beings, a small category of human beings, could impose their will on the world. And by the way, I, in my, I recently reviewed... So, so Nietzsche, <laughs> Nietzsche had a view that was... That, I've got lost. Hegel, he didn't like... No, Schopenhauer oh. didn't like Hegel. He put his lectures at the same time, but nobody went to them. And then there was the... Hegel had a view about time being a dream or something, and, and the mm. ancient people all... So we're back at the point that ancient people and, have a different cyclical uh, yeah, conceptions. That's right. History is a dream. Nothing really means anything in history. And this has all got something to do with new atheism. We I mean, must it, I, the, the thing... It, I think it does thematically, right? Because it kind of... You know, he tied it to his kind of critique about new atheists assume progress. And, but essentially, all he said in so far is some people haven't fought like that throughout history, including some Enlightenment figures. I've said it there in like two sentences. <laughs> and it's, it's just the one thing that you'll notice, and he, he just did it here, but don't worry, he'll do it again, is that when he reaches a like a kind of endpoint of a thing, he will then say, by the way, or on that point. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right? or, on and, the other, or on the other hand. Yeah, and continue on. And maybe Sam doesn't get it. He, you know, he, it is the case that sometimes people don't pay attention to whether the other people have already understood their point and they continue to provide examples and illustrations and elaborations. But it does feel indulgent like the thing that strikes me is like isn't there isn't a sense that like maybe you've been going on for a while mm -hmm. and yeah. the why it's nice to give examples and go on tangents like there's another yeah. person there right and yeah. it, sure it's an interview but like you know yeah, the, yeah you, like you, if you're being asked a pretty specific a pretty pretty straightforward question I think it's a good idea to try to give a succinct and straightforward answer. I mean, it's not clear that he's answered the question at all to me, except in as far as what you just said, which is 
<laughs> like in his view, somehow atheism requires some some degree of progress. I don't know why. New atheism. New atheism. New atheism. I seriously do not know why. Do you know why? Why does atheism? New atheism. After he said five types of atheists are okay. Sorry. Why does <laughs> why does new atheism require that there is progress, social and historical progress? Yeah, because he's saying that the new atheists have like a naive childish view of the world that sees that you can go from tradition and convention and religious dogma to like science and reason and you know uh, so 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 yeah that's what i thought too so his point is that's silly because nothing can ever change because machiavelli or hegel and bloody blah yeah he doesn't agree that there's progress but other people have also said that there's no progress including enlightenment thinkers this doesn't make sense. Like, how could, like, imagine if I said, if you said, look, Chris, uh, you said, Matt, I- I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to become a vegetarian. I go, don't be silly, Chris. You can't do that because nothing ever changes. You, you can't. That's silly, right? You-, you weren't a vegetarian before. How can you change from not being a vegetarian to a vegetarian? Hegel said this and Nietzsche said that and the ancients believed this. <laughs> you you need to go on for quite a bit like, longer. Like, isn't that a stretch to say that? Like you could say that about anything, any idea, like or atheism. What about democracy or anything? No, no, that's impossible. Yeah, because- well, I think he, in general, he doesn't like the new atheist because, in general, his broader thing is that the assumption of progress is wrong. Like so, and atheism- new atheists, insofar as they are embodying a desire for a progress in thinking, yeah. are wrong. Yeah, but his yeah. but his arguments here, yeah, there okay. does seem this to is, be. This is my issue, like, right? Like, like, the, like you strip away all of the name dropping, and you know he's a very erudite guy. He's obviously, you know, yeah, he knows the people he's talking about. He 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 is learned. What good God, <laughs> <laughs> he is learned. But I mean, this is baffling with bullshit, isn't it? Like you've got like the fundamental bones of his case is just what we just said, and when you just say it like that, it sounds pretty stupid. But if you, well, it's, it just sounds it, weak. Well, it's, you know, weak. It's, yeah, well, it's just a weak argument, you know, it is. But if you add in this this great big long discursive tour of, of all of Western thought from the ancients to... Not just Western thought. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Through world thought, through all of recorded history, then, you know, maybe you don't notice that that's the fundamental point he's making. Yeah. Well, let's see. Let's see. It's almost at an end. So it... it it might come to like a kind of summary point. Uh, some of your right, your listeners may be the first book by Bronze Age pervert. <laughs> the uh, uh, the and this was in the New Statesman. They can look it up if they want. Mm. Uh, I think I think there's a paywall, but you can look at two or three articles without mm-hmm. paying any money. And there I uh, went back to Ayn Rand, who of course emigrated from Russia, and when she emigrated from Russia. Uh, I think 1922 or 23 or something like that. But from about 1890 to about 1920, the dominant, the, the biggest intellectual influence in Russia had not been Marx or Marxism, had been Nietzsche. And there were Nietzschean, there were Nietzschean everything, Nietzschean liberals, Nietzschean communists, Nietzschean nationalists, Nietzschean orthodox Christian, everything. And one of the things that entertained me in, uh, I've never been a Randian, but in her first book, We the Living, was the sections that she later took out in which she says, uh, which the hero, uh, a thinly fictionalized version of herself, uh, says to her Bolshevik lover, I detest your ideals, but I love your methods. <laughs> mm. I, 
So, so yeah, maybe not, Matt. Maybe we should give up at this point because it, it, I am beginning to lose hope. <laughs> yeah, he's got the Anne Rand and a book review he wrote of Bronze Age perverts books. Bronze Age pervert being an online alt right guy, but so, but but is it necessary to go into Anne Rand's history of? emigration and immigration and the like her jokes that she makes in individual segments of her book that you like like it's again the level of indulgence seems very high and and this is something that every academic is familiar with at a conference where it's a it's kind of comedy trope where somebody says it's more of a comment than a question and they proceed to blabber on endlessly about their ideas without yeah. really posing the question to the person who uh, ostensibly they're supposed to be engaging with. And maybe John Gray, I, I hear that his books are more tightly written or whatever the case might be, but but it, I think this is really, it is an academic disease, but it's, it's a philosopher disease and a guru disease that they really go on elaborate, like, Mm. verbal wanderings, danderings around, and they like to sprinkle it with the people that they've met, with the, you know, the the big books, the weighty tomes, the figures that they know. And it, I guess some of it is relevant, but like it did his points <laughs> really need mm. all of these examples at this yeah. length. Because we're not, we're not finished <laughs> yet, right? <laughs> like it's, I mean, we are. We're going to stop here. But, but like, we're at 1920. No, we got, we were slightly past the Enlightenment, but we're still not up. And, like, could have been talking about Dawkins and well, Hitchens. Yeah, right? I mean, this like is... The, the new atheists. He's got one of them right in front of him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's incredibly self-indulgent, isn't it? It's, um, and it's, it is like Jordan Peterson. It reminds me of, of him a lot. But, you know, it's also a gishkalop, isn't it? I, I think it can be... Yeah, what's Sam supposed to say at the end of this? Yeah, so, so that was your complaints about the new atheists. And that's one of the things that people do is that they kind of layer in so many things that by the time that you have the point to respond, and usually at the end, they'll say something controversial as well. Uh, or, well, and, and another point is blah, blah, blah. And then your option is, do I try and work my way back through all of that? Or do I move on to the next question? Because we've only got like five minutes left right mm -hmm. now, and this is going to take like to debate his characterization of Nietzsche like, is that worth your your time? But in most conversations that you have in life, mm. people would observe a social cue where, oh, I've been monologuing for quite a long time. So, uh, and you did just ask me a pretty straightforward set question. So let me just say, this is what I meant. Yep. Bup, 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 and yep. move on. But this is not the way of podcasts and gurus. It's almost a desirable characteristic in podcast world. If you're able to, do, I mean, it's not, it's not desirable, but it's some people, I think, mistake that for illustrating the profundity and depth of your thought, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I think a, a good way to evaluate these things is one, he should, you got to be more concise. If someone asks you a direct question, this, and this is not a question that he's not unprepared for. He's written books about this, right? Is this is a, yeah. like, so a bit like a PhD student who's asked to give the five, you know, the elevator pitch or the three minute description of what they're doing for their PhD. You should be able to distill it into a nicely, organized little response right and he didn't so that's his first crime right he's spoken for far far too long on too many relevant points as you said the second crime is is that he just hasn't answered the question not to my satisfaction like imagine if you set an essay test for a student and he said oh (laughs) explain the main explain the main objection to new atheism from so-and-so's point of view and imagine if they gave you and you, you were 2,000 <laughs> words in and you were traversing Ayn Rand's immigration from Russia, yeah. then you, you would fail them because that's a shitty answer to the question. And this guy's a professor. Yeah. He, he should be doing better, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit, it does remind me, you know, of Tucker Carlson, <laughs> whenever Putin said, to answer that, let me first provide a brief history of Russia <laughs> and like 35 minutes later he's still talking about Peter the Creator or whatever <laughs> so yeah there there does feel a bit like that and it's it, the thing here is just to say that this isn't an isolated example where this it, like it's it's kind of particularly noticeable when I was listening to it I, I just realized after a while wait this is the same it's the same question and it goes on but this happens a lot. You may have heard it on other podcasts recently with mm. other guests where people mm. do this. And mm. the there are options. You know, the other person in the conversation can interrupt them and be like, but, but the thing is that, especially in an interview context, there's a sort of dynamic where that would be rude in just terms of the actual interaction habitus that we have like if you say sorry you're going on for too long (laughs) we really need to get to the next question that is taken as like you being rude and the person is your guest so you shouldn't do that so yeah and the audience yeah at least some of the audience definitely doesn't like it right you shouldn't let them finish let them elaborate further oh yes some of them don't though if you go to sam harris's reddit and look a lot of people picked up on this monologuing tendency and they were not happy <laughs> about it. That's, that's good. And yeah, I'm sure they apply that consistently. I uh, hope mm-hmm. they do across different people that that you know that they might be more positively inclined to who if they have tendencies to monologue that they would also not like that. But that's neither here nor there. It's just a common dimension. So yes, my I thought this was interesting because it's it's a particularly yeah. bad example or of, good example yeah no, it's, a good, it's a good example of a common thing about yeah thing. of a bad tendency of yeah. people and i suspect that philosophers and academics and older uh philosophers and academics are probably in the venn diagram of pro- prolific monologuers right like, like <laughs> they're they're right there but but it's also it's also got to do with that style of thinking isn't it and we talked about this a lot back way back when we covered jordan peterson where that sort of poetic scattergun kind of thing where there's this thing and that thing and that thing and they're sort of thematically related in some vague fuzzy way yeah. i think there's a, a kind of person for whom both in the audience and the people who do it for whom that kind of thing is is appear, yeah reasoning is is appealing they've sketched it out in like an impressionistic uh, allegorical sketch and um that i just find it incredibly frustrating because <laughs> i just and maybe it's just a person to some degree maybe it's a personal preference but i 
I yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, I get it. Well, that's all for today, Matt. We had a look at the piece of content, but yeah, maybe you should listen to the rest of it if you want to find no. out where it goes. There's still <laughs> much- a lot more card to cover. <laughs> so how, how long, just out of interest, how long in total was his answer? How many minutes? I, I genuinely don't know, but I oh, it's over 10 minutes. Uh, over 10 minutes and it's not done yet because it's hard to tell because (laughs) it bleeds into another point and then they start discussing that so it never actually comes to I I feel like we never I feel like we'll never get to hear just a clear direct answer to the question that I think uh, he did I mean he gave it somewhere in the middle it's just that it was those kind of weak points which is yeah. some people don't believe in like the, the change uh, change some people don't believe that historical change is possible so the new atheists and lots of people have been religious that, throughout history so it's probably yeah. doing something and if you don't have religion you'll replace it with something worse so yeah these and are all change is impossible anyway so you know in a long time don't try to think that the world could start not get being better because better, it'll collapse societies will eventually collapse yes yeah. So. yeah yeah cool uh, cool cool cool, cool, cool. For fun. <laughs> <laughs> something to think about there yeah. uh, so well that's it but yeah. anyway that's it anyway, <laughs> so whatever. Whatever. sorry yeah. sorry professor what's his name again john gray john gray sorry professor gray so yeah, um, sure. no right to reply. Sorry, they're <laughs> <laughs> not coming on. <laughs> like the door's closed. All right, and and just one one point though, the thing is about Euclides, right? No, shut up. He, when he, <laughs> Sophocles, when he, yeah, so Sophocles uh, had a mistress that he, he didn't like much. Um, oh, but, really? Yeah, no, uh, no, he, he, Althusser, he, didn't he beat his wife to death? Yeah, the Marxist, I, and, and he, he was Marxist. And he was, he was an atheist too, wasn't he? Or he, he knew someone who was, was an atheist. Probably an atheist. I can't say for certain. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he did kill his wife and he was, you know, a historical yeah. materialist. And, so yeah. just- and, and those are ideas that, you know, fertilized the tyrannies of the 20th century. Right, the Nazis. I mean, yes, they referenced some Christian things, but not in the head, you know, the the way that the Catholic Church would approve of. And then, Not the way yes, that I conceptualize it anyway.